0: You're listening to Assurity's Good Business Podcast. I'm Matt. Today, we're taking a break from our usual format to bring you a special episode with Assurity's outgoing president and CEO, Tom Henning. The end of 2021 marks the end of his tenure at the helm of Assurity, and over his 27 years in the role, he's helped to steer our company into what it is today. Since Tom has had such an outsized impact on our own social mission, we wanted to take this chance to revisit some of our favorite moments and topics from the first year of the Good Business podcast, and have Tom share his thoughts on why these are such important discussions to have. So pour yourself a mug of hot cocoa or a glass of eggnog, and join us by the fire for some holiday reflection and lessons from a truly inspiring business leader. For those of you who haven't yet met him, here's Tom.
1: Yeah, I'm Tom Henning. I'm the... I'm currently the chairman and CEO of Assurity Life. It's been my good fortune to have served as CEO for the, uh, almost the past 27 years.
0: From the very beginning of the show, we've asked the question of why. Why is it important for businesses to adopt a deeper purpose? Here are some of the answers given by past guests, like our own Jared Carlson and Dr. Chris Marquis, and what Tom has to say. As you look at this from a longer-term perspective, If you are completely focused on uh, building up your short-term net profitability, some of these decisions just don't make sense. But you take a longer time horizon, and and I think you can start to see those connections. Not only is this the right thing to do or a good thing to do, but operating in this way actually does come back and benefit the organization.
2: The idea that companies should actually be caring for their stakeholders and actually prioritizing stakeholders other than shareholders has really caught on in the past number of years. You know, many influential, large investors, uh, corporate groups like the Business Roundtable. It's this group of, of 200 largest company CEOs in the United States. They came out with a statement in late 2019 saying that the purpose of a company is not to just primarily meet shareholder needs, which is what which actually their statement of purpose of the company was before, but to meet stakeholder needs, they said. So things like employees, communities, uh, the environment. And this is what I mean by sort of interdependent, is that companies recognize and take responsibility for their uh, stakeholders.
1: Yeah, well, I believe that customers and employees are gravitating towards companies that are trying to have a positive impact on the world. You know, millennials especially want workplaces with a social purpose. You know, they have high expectations for the actions of business when it comes to social purpose and accountability, and they want to work for companies that uphold these values. In other words, they want a company which is about more than just making money. They want a company with purpose. Another unfortunate fact is that most employees are not very engaged in their work. It is too bad, but so many business leaders don't understand you can't build something special or unique in the marketplace unless you also build something special or unique in the workplace. So what's the answer? Well, I think executives and managers need to engage employees in the company's purpose. Now by purpose, I mean more than just the company's mission and value statement. You know, an inspiring mission statement is critical, but purpose goes beyond the mission statement and the company's stated values. You know, much like a foundation is to a house, a conductor is to an orchestra, or a canvas is to an artist's masterpiece, a clear purpose is everything to an organization. Purpose means that the company is about more than just the bottom line. Personally, I believe the potential is extraordinary for business to serve as a force for good. Embracing an authentic purpose requires a higher level of maturity in a company's own awareness. Now, some people think purpose means diverting from profitability, but it doesn't. All business leaders need to remember creating financial value within a business and addressing relevant social challenges are not mutually exclusive ideas.
0: That merging of purpose and profit is what so much of the show has focused on. In fact, crunching some numbers here, more than half of our guests have been from certified B Corps, like Assurity. If you're unfamiliar with what a certified B Corp is, They're for-profit companies that have an independently verified commitment to working for good. You can learn more in our third episode, featuring Becca Quirk of B-Lab. Part of the idea behind the podcast was to bring together like-minded organizations and help to build a community around our shared values. And it turns out this is something that B-Corporations are exceedingly good at. Here's Becca Quirk from B-Lab and John Pritchard of UK-based B-Corp, Paula Eyewear. Then, Tom on why Assurbody chose this path. Our B Corp community does really represent best in class when it comes to how businesses can operate differently. And so the more we can bring these thought leaders together, I think the more benefit we can see both to our existing community, but also to ordinary businesses that are also trying to improve their impact. And we believe that we're stronger together than apart our certification is expansive and companies that um, within it can operate in different countries in seemingly unrelated industries, but they're all working on that common goal of using their business as a force for good. But that's a key piece of advice, which is, I think, don't be afraid to ask for help and use the network because I think you'll be very surprised the amount of willingness you'll get back from people because if you're in it as a sustainable business, a sustainable brand, people see the bigger picture, not just what you're doing, but the bigger picture what you're trying to achieve.
2: And I think that
1: counts for a lot. Well, B Corp certification is tangible evidence from a third party that the company is about more than just the bottom line. Of course, we need to make money and take care of our customers, but we also need to create a great place to work, be an excellent corporate citizen and be an exemplar of corporate environmental, social advocacy and accountability. B corporations are for-profit companies that pledge to achieve social goals as well as financial ones. There are now nearly 4,000 B Corps in 150 industries in 74 countries. You know, some of the more famous ones are Patagonia, New Belgium Brewing, Ben & Jerry's. They're all examples of companies that are B Corps. And in the past four years, many states have passed laws allowing companies to incorporate themselves as B Corporations. At Assurity, we need to be profitable, but we also wanted to build a business that did good in the world. In today's fiercely competitive business environment, one might assume that a company that thinks altruistically is doomed to failure. To a total free marketer, a B Corp is just a waste of shareholder money on do-gooding. Now, it's easy to be skeptical of the mushy rhetoric surrounding B Corps. Yet the desire to balance profit and purpose, arguably a return to the model that many American companies once followed. Henry Ford declared that instead of boosting dividends, he'd rather use the money to build better cars and pay better wages. And Johnson & Johnson's credo, written in 1943, stated that the company's first responsibility was not to investors, but to doctors, nurses, and patients, to mothers and fathers, and all others who use their products and services. The Rise of B Corp is a reminder that the idea that corporations should only be lean, mean. Profit maximizing machines isn't dictated by the inherent nature of capitalism, let alone by human nature. As individuals, we try to make our work not just profitable, but also meaningful. Being a certified B Corp has helped purpose to come alive at a surety.
0: Indeed, it has. I know I love working for a certified B Corp, and so do many of my fellow associates. It's another one of the commonalities we found between a lot of our guests that adopting and nurturing a purpose-driven framework requires buy-in from all levels of the business. Here are Jeff Hayes from the Myers-Briggs Company and Andres Traslavina from Whole Foods Market on the importance of purpose throughout an organization.
3: One of the things that we did, and I would would say for any company that is looking at or thinking about becoming a B Corp and, and going through the B Labs process, and I would encourage companies to do that actually, but one of the things that we did was I felt it was really important and the leadership team felt it was really important that this be something that employees drove. We didn't I didn't want it to be something that was a top-down approach. And I think it's just amazing to have an opportunity as a team member whether you are, you know, at, at a store or at the corporate office to travel and actually see in real life how your foundation is helping communities around the world. So, one of the things that I I would strongly recommend is get employees involved and let employees really drive the work so that they really feel fully engaged with it and that it's something that isn't just from the top down, so to speak, that it is something that you as an organization actually all feel is part of your, as I mentioned earlier, your DNA and let your employees really drive and run with that.
1: And Tom has some similar thoughts on engaging associates. Well, one of my long-standing and continuing goals for Surety is to be a great place to work. And I think taken as a whole, we've done fairly well. We consistently have high engagement scores. But creating a great place to work requires ongoing effort. It is something we can never take for granted. Like a beautiful garden, it needs to be continuously tended. Those of you who are gardeners know you just can't plant a garden and consider your work done. The same continual attention is required for a great place to work. In this time when we have so many associates working remotely, all of us who supervise others must put in more effort to ensure associate engagement. Also remember we can have great programs at the corporate level, but if an associate doesn't feel good about his or her immediate supervisor and the area he or she is working in, that associate will not have good feelings about the company. You know, I've long been a fan of the writings of Charles Handy. Charles is a, um, a gentleman from the UK. I think he's now a little over 88 years old. He's been an oil executive, an economist, and a professor at the London Business School. His most recent book is titled 21 Letters on Life and Its Challenges. The book is organized in the form of letters to his grandchildren. One of my favorites is letter number 11, which is titled You Are Not a Human Resource. Here's an excerpt I particularly like. I found that if you choose the right people to start with, and if you know what they are meant to do, they just get on with it without any checking or fuss. I call that leadership, creating the conditions for good work, choosing the right people and setting them standards of achievement that they can understand and rewarding them when they meet them. You may say that I'm just playing with words, but words describe the world, even the local world of the organization. Now, I believe that work needs to be organized, that things should be managed, but that people can only be encouraged, inspired, and led. Well, Mr. Handy's comments totally reflect my feelings. A reoccurring theme and an important business philosophy of mine is, if we want great performance, we need to be sure we have the right people in the right spots. To use Jim Collins' terminology, we want to be sure we have the right people on the bus and the right seats on the bus. You can't have high engagement if you're asking people to do something which doesn't fit with their natural talents. So right people, right fit is the foundation for having a great place to work. If you want to read more about Tom's thoughts
0: on creating a great, purposeful place to work, you can find a recent interview of his with Dr.
1: Chris Marquis on Forbes or linked in the show notes. Companies with a great work environment help their associates become better. The best development plans are customized to the individual and don't usually involve company-wide training programs. Bottom line, we need to encourage professionals development customized to the individual. Sincere, authentic recognition is also essential for any company that wants to foster a great work environment. Every human being wants to be recognized and appreciated for the work they do. However, managers often wait until a quarterly or annual conversation to give their feedback and show recognition. Managers shouldn't wait for that one day of the year or quarter to recognize their direct reports. Instead, they should recognize them every day, This is only possible if employee recognition becomes part of a company's culture. We have embraced the Entrepreneurial Operating System (EOS) concept uh, of a quarterly conversation. I believe one of the highest impact disciplines you can practice as a leader manager is the quarterly conversation. It's simply a one-on-one meeting with each of your direct reports every 90 days. It's an important opportunity for each of you to share what's working and what's not. It's not a performance review. It's an important communication opportunity. Creating a great place to work requires continual attention. In this time of managing a mostly remote workforce, creating a great place to work requires more effort. Put forth the extra effort to ensure your organization remains a great place to work, even during this challenging period.
0: Creating a great place to work and work that does great things takes even more than effort, though. We ask each of our guests what advice they'd have for up-and-coming social businesses and there's one answer that gets repeated more than any other. Be authentic. Matt Wittick of Fill it Forward and Sean Greenwood of Ben & Jerry's put it really well and Tom has some thoughts on the subject too.
2: Make that commitment that's in line with your organization and your values because consumers understand authenticity as well and they'll detect if it's not in line with, your, your, with who you are as an organization or a person. And we don't feel like anyone else should be Ben and Jerry's, right? We're the only ones that should be Ben and Jerry's. Just like we shouldn't try to be Patagonia and Patagonia shouldn't try to be Lush Cosmetics. It's like you need to do what's true to your own business. And when you try to do what someone else's thing is, it, it's not authentic. It doesn't feel right. It's not connected. Instead, to do something that's within your own supply chain, within your own business operations, that's where you know your fans and customers, the public, even folks who criticize your business
1: start going like, wow, well, you're doing something that's actually a pretty good fit there, right? You know, people want to be part of something bigger than themselves, something they can believe in. Individuals want to work for a company that is about more than top-line revenue growth and bottom-line profitability. A company's purpose is bigger than its product, service, technology, charismatic leader, or its executive team. It's the idea of who you are as a company and why you exist beyond bottom line profitability. You also need your own genuine way of talking about the symbiotic relationship between corporate purpose and corporate performance. To be authentic, you must be unrelenting in evaluating and stimulating debate about uncomfortable truths and tensions you may be tempted to sweep under the rug. At a surety, I feel we cannot call ourselves successful unless we're also contributing to the greater good and helping society address some of its most difficult problems. There's a growing understanding among business leaders everywhere for the need to revise their social contract with society. Corporate leaders today have the challenge of envisioning how to renew the corporate society contract in the 21st century, such that firms contribute in distinct relevant ways to societal well-being. To use business as a force for good.
0: As we wrap up this episode and the first year of the Good Business Podcast, we wanted to talk about one subject that Tom has a personal interest in, regenerative agriculture, which our guest Gabe Brown had some really great insights on in episode nine, a story about soil. Here's Gabe and why Tom thinks environmental stewardship is such a worthy goal.
1: You know, three to five years ago, you didn't hear the word regenerative agriculture. Now you can't pick up a Farm Magazine, without talking about regenerative agriculture. I get inquiries weekly from businesses, many large multinational businesses, uh, interested in regenerative agriculture. In and, and the last three months, uh, I talked to the Trump administration, what is now the Biden administration, Prince Charles, him and I had a Zoom meeting about regenerative agriculture. So it's really catching on. I'm a part-time small farmer. My wife and I operate our farms with environmental stewardship foremost in our minds. More and more farmers and ranchers are joining the conversation around regenerative agriculture as the best way to manage the land for environmental, animal, and human health. Now, we all want clean air and water, food, and an overall healthy environment. With regenerative agriculture, producers are not just sustaining the current land resource so that it can be used for the future. They're actually improving what is there, leaving it better for the next generation. Regenerative agriculture is about principles, not practices. It focuses on outcomes, actual improvements to soil health, and the overall quality and health of the land. The freedom for producers to make decisions on their land is important. The reality is that working with nature is complex. There are good practices that, if applied at the wrong time or under the wrong conditions, can hurt. Not help the land.
0: And finally, what I'm sure you've all been waiting for some parting wisdom from Tom Henning.
1: You know, after nearly 27 years, as you mentioned, I'll be transitioning out of the CEO role at Assurity. You know, this has caused me, of course, to reflect on my business career. And one of the things that's really enforced, reinforced for me is the importance of maintaining perspective. You know, one of the ongoing challenges for every business leader is to maintain perspective. In the heat of any business problem, challenge, or opportunity, it's easy to become overly emotional, to become so vested in a result that you become immobilized. Now, I believe you have to have passion to achieve success, but too much emotion and you'll start to make mistakes. Often, success and failure in business is all about perspective. Short-term failures can hide long-term successes, while quick wins can sometimes lead to future losses. It's impossible to know the future and how events will eventually unfold. You know, at his 70th birthday party, one of my favorite mentors said, there are few advantages of getting old other than experience and perspective. He went on to say, when I was younger, I suffered through so many imagined worries. Now with the perspective of age, I do not. So how do we maintain perspective? Well, one tool that I found helpful was invented by Susie Welch, wife of business legend, Jack Welch. She's a business writer for publications such as Bloomberg Businessweek and O Magazine. It's called the 10-10-10 formula, and Welch describes it in a book of the same name. To use 10-10-10, we should think about our decisions on three different timeframes. How will we feel about it 10 minutes from now? How about 10 months from now? How about 10 years from now? These three timeframes provide an elegant way of forcing us to get some distance on our decisions. helps to level the emotional playing field. What we're feeling now might be intense and sharp, while the future feels fuzzier. That discrepancy gives the present too much power because our present emotions are always in the spotlight. 10-10-10 forces us to shift our spotlight, asking us to imagine a moment 10 months into the future. For example, as a business leader, if you've been avoiding a difficult conversation with a coworker, then you're letting short-term emotions rule you. If you commit to that conversation, then 10 minutes from now, you'll probably be anxious. But 10 months from now, you'll be glad you did it. Another way to maintain perspective is to embrace Stoic principles. In recent years, I've read a number of books on the philosophy of Stoicism. I've come to admire and largely embrace most Stoic principles. At its heart, Stoicism is about accepting things which are in your power to control and ditching the rest. Stoicism also helps us all understand the impermanence of everything. You know, for over a thousand years, Roman conquerors returning from the wars participated in a celebratory parade. In the procession came trumpeters, musicians, and strange animals from conquered territories, together with carts laden with treasured and captured ornaments. The conquerors rode in a triumphal chariot, the day's prisoners walking in chains before them, usually a slave stood behind the conqueror holding a golden crown over his head and whispering in his ear a warning, Remember, you are mortal, and all glory is fleeting. So true. We are all mortal, and all glory is fleeting. You know, finally, to keep perspective, remember this. One day, most people still living will not remember you. Now, this is a morbid sentiment, but ultimately it's true. There is no getting away from the fact that one day we're all going to die. The further time advances past this point, the more we will be forgotten. Life goes on. It waits for nobody. You know, I think of all the local, regional, national business leaders I've had the pleasure to know over the years who build incredible businesses or ran big organizations. Five years after they're gone, for sure 10 years, other than their family and maybe a few close colleagues, nobody remembers what they did or who they were. The stress and sleepless nights they experienced in building their business or running their organization will be remembered by no one. You know, the BBC wrote an interesting article in 2017 with the title, Who Will Be Remembered in a Thousand Years? The short answer is, virtually no one. But they tell an entertaining story to make the point. Here it is. A group of tourists in England are touring a cemetery. They stop by one headstone with the inscription, which reads, Erected to the Memory of Thomas Sayers. The guide asks the group of, anyone has heard of this man. All the tourists shake their head blankly. Do any of you know him? At the time of his death, the situation was very different. It was the winter of 1865, and Sayers had risen and become the most celebrated sportsman of the Victorian age. While well, the steady march of time has left many other similar casualty in its wake, people who have risen to dizzying heights of fame, only to be largely forgotten. So again, Not to be morbid, but we should all realize our place in the cosmos. When I've gotten a little too puffed up with my successes or a little too dejected with my failures, I remember what it means in the scheme of everything, which is nothing. This reality check gives me some much-needed perspective. A proper perspective is so important for a business leader. And perspectives are what we aim to share with this show.
0: So thanks, Tom. For not only coming on today, but for your leadership over the past decades and for helping mold Assurity surety into the company that it's become. At the end of our episodes, we like to thank our guests for their time and expertise by making a $100 donation to the charitable organization of their choice. This time is no different. Here's who Tom picked.
1: Thank you. That's very generous of you, uh, Matt. I really, really appreciate it. Well, the one I'd like to donate to is um, an organization that I've been pretty involved with called Pheasants Forever. Some of you might be familiar with Pheasants Forever. Pheasants Forever is a national um, upland bird habitat organization. Well, we do more than that. Uh, They also try to help monarch butterflies and everything, but they're one organization that is committed to improving upland bird habitat. I used to be on their national board and I'd like my donation to go to their, the Cornhusker chapter of uh, Pheasants Forever.
0: Thanks again to Tom for joining us, and thanks to all of you for listening in. We really appreciate everyone that's followed the show, and we're looking forward to more great conversations in the future. We'll be back in 2022 with more stories of how businesses like Assurity are creating change. Have a great new year, everyone. Thanks for listening to Assurity's Good Business Podcast. Assurity's Good Business Podcast is a production of Assurity Life Insurance Company of Lincoln, Nebraska. If you have questions or comments or want to submit an episode topic or guest for us to interview, you can visit us online at www.assurety.com goodbusiness or send us a note at goodbusiness And if you like what you hear, subscribe and listen to the rest of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really enjoyed it, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to stay up to date. Join us again next time for more stories about how businesses are changing the world. After all, it's good business. Assurity is a marketing name for the mutual holding company Assurity Group Incorporated and its subsidiaries. Those subsidiaries include, but are not limited to, Assurity Life Insurance Company and Assurity Life Insurance Company of New York.